Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 29. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Welcome back, Van. How's everything? Laura, everything is wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Down here in South Texas, of course, those of you know that we record these things pretty close to real time, and it's it's coming into fall. I got to tell you, we're glad to see humidity go away a little bit and these little cooler temperatures. I'm so excited about this fall. There's just a lot of really cool things going on. Yeah, I don't envy you living in South Texas, although I, I know there's some great stuff down there. I'm a history nut, and I love that part of it, but it's hot enough in Dallas, but it's way too humid down where you are in the summertime. <laughs> It is. And that's whenever we have guests come down, we try to encourage them to stay out of those immediate summer months because uh, it's hot, right? Just like it is up there in your part of the world. But at the same time down here, we've got a little bit more humidity. And if you're not used to it, it'll, it'll really get you. We just drink lots and lots of water and carry on. The good thing is in the wintertime, man, we just, it's almost tropical. It's actually, it is a, yeah. what they consider a subtropical climate down here in so in the wintertime, we get a lot done in the winter where otherwise it might be a little bit too cold for us to get things done. So it all works out one way or the other. It just kind of depends on our, how we look at things. But hey, Laura, I'm pumped. Let's, let's get rocking and rolling on this, uh, on this ride over stride yeah. today. So what are we going to talk about? Well, today we're going to talk about a guy. I actually, I, I wish I could remember the guy's name. I love giving credit where credit's due. But I was asked many years ago to do a horse expo up in... I thought it was Utah, but now that I think about it, it was actually in Idaho. It was for the Idaho Horse Council, and it was a great little horse expo up there. I was fortunate enough to get to go there and do horsemanship presentations and some speaking. And while I'm at those types of events, I every opportunity that I get to go share time with other trainers and other clinicians, I take that opportunity. And I happened to witness this one guy doing this wonderful presentation on how to get a horse used to being clipped for the first time. And during the course, of course, you, you know, it's going to be successful, right? Because he's, he's in there and he's doing a good job. And you just knew he was going to end successfully. But during the journey of from when he started to when he ended, he kept repeating one particular quote that just really touched me as far as the application to horsemanship. And he said, just keep remembering where you release is what you teach. Now, what does that mean? Well, Whenever we say where you release, what we're referring to there is um, pressure and release. In other words, whenever we want a horse to do something, we apply some sort of pressure. And without going into too much detail, but I tell people all the time, there's applied pressure and there's implied pressure. But either way, it's just pressure. And how horses learn is not through the application or the implication of pressure. How they learn is from the release of pressure. So let's go back and look at that quote again. Where you release is what you teach. So that puts a great burden on us to, number one, know what it is that we want so that we can reward a horse for either attempting to do it or doing it. And then the other part of it is our timing. We have to become masters of our timing. And what I mean by timing, Laura, is that we have to almost envision what's going on and being very much in the moment. 
You've heard me say it a hundred times. It's the title of our podcast, Ride Every Stride, which means be in the moment. And if we are very much aware of what it is that we're doing, very keenly aware of what, of, of what the horse is doing, then the moment the horse does something that we want, we release that pressure. So again, where you release is what you teach. I just, I love that quote. And I, I did, I think the guy that, that came up with that, and I don't know if it was a guy that I was watching that day, if he came up with it or if it was something he had learned, but either way, it was just one of those magical moments in my life. And I'm so grateful for that experience. Well, I know both, you know, just because I'm a nerd and read lots of stuff, but also from working with you over the years, the importance of the sentiment behind this, the whole issue of pressure and release. But I think maybe for listeners, in case there's a listener who's not clear on what that's meaning, you talked about applied and implied pressure. And I want to make sure I'm clearly understanding by pressure, you don't necessarily mean physically pushing on the horse. It goes back to things you've said about horses, mostly what they want is to be left alone so they can eat kind of thing. Sure. Right, yeah. And so talk a, a little, just a little bit about what pressure is or what you mean by pressure and then what you mean, why it matters that you be in the moment and release at just the right time. You betcha. Already, as you were speaking, about three different scenarios popped in my brain. All right, I want to I want to talk about the one that we don't hear much about. For example, the one that kind of almost sounds kind of almost like in a gray area, and that's implied pressure. Well, what is implied pressure? Okay, I'm going to paint a scenario for us humans that we can feel and kind of maybe recall, and then I'm going to give another one very directly toward the horses. Have you ever been sitting in a restaurant and you're just eating your meal or about to order your meal, and you just feel that there's somebody staring at you? And you just have that feeling that, oh my God, what is, and then you, what even makes it worse is when you turn and you look over your shoulder and you see somebody making eye, eye contact with you. Okay. Was that person physically touching you? No, they're across the room. So what was that feeling? Well, that can be looked into as implied pressure. That's implied. My stepfather used to be a master of intimidating me through implied pressure. He would be sitting from across the room. And because he had done so many things to me when I was youngster, he could look at me and look at me in a particular way. And I was incredibly fearful. I mean, I was like, why is he looking at me the way? So that stare is yeah. an implied pressure. Well, and, and every kid knows the look from mama in church when you're messing around. And exactly. all, mama, all mama has to do is give you that look. Maybe right. the eyebrow goes up. Yeah. Well, that's a form of implied pressure. Now I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to describe another one. Many years ago, I used to do a lot with the Bureau of Land Management. They would hire guys like me and some other guys that were pretty good at what we're doing to kind of make working with Mustangs look easy so that they could adopt them out easier. I since learned that I was being used and I quit doing that <laughs> because Lord knows if you've worked with many Mustangs, they're not nearly as easy as some of us guys can make them look. And I'm not being boastful. It's just that they're tough animals to work with, and you really, really got to know what you're doing. Well, the Mustangs, because they were so natural and because of the environment they were coming from and the very strange environment they were thrust into, they are very sensitive and they are very fear-driven. They're very keenly aware of the predator-prey concept. Well, a form of implied pressure is that sometimes I would just walk into the round pen with one of those guys and they would just go ballistic. They'd be trying to climb out of the other side of the arena from where I just entered. 
but I hadn't done anything. All I did was just walk into the room, so to speak. So see, that's a form of implied pressure. There wasn't anything physical going on. I didn't go there and touch the horse. I didn't swing a rope at it. I didn't throw anything at it. I didn't do anything directed toward it. Just my presence was pressure. Was perceived as pressure because of the kind of animals that horses are. Exactly. And it's it's important. And I know this not because I'm an expert, but because I've heard you talk about it enough. It's that's why it's so important to understand the nature of a horse, and the kind because it sort of defines the kinds of pressure you can bring to bear in training, for good or ill. Absolutely. Well, if I understand that there is different types of pressure, there's implied and applied, then sometimes if I'm very keenly aware of that, I can also be still thinking about what it is that I want. What do I want from this horse? So let's say, for example, me just walking into the room is implied pressure and the horse is kind of freaking out over there. The whole time he's freaking out, I'm thinking, I've got to have some sort of positive behavior from this. So if the horse does nothing more than just maybe turns an ear toward me or just kind of turns an eye toward me, I'm going to turn and look away from him at that moment because just my looking at him is implied pressure. He feels that pressure. So I'm already, even though I'm not physically doing anything, I'm not doing anything directed at him. I'm not doing anything intentional. I just know that my mere presence is causing the horse a a certain amount of discomfort. If I can give that horse just a hint of release from that pressure just by looking away, in other words, taking the implied pressure and removing it, then suddenly I can already start the learning behavior of the horse. I can already start the empowerment. And what I mean by empowerment is I want the horse to understand, look, when you do some key things and you take ownership of doing those key things, you can be part of the training process. Hmm. When you do those, I take the pressure away. So I can take that implied pressure and I can redirect it so that it's not being directed toward the horse at all at that stage. I think this is so key, and and I want to make sure that especially if we've got any listeners that are maybe new to horsemanship, it's important that they understand what you're talking about here because people may think that they're training by the pushing, that whatever the pushing is, the pressure, to use your terminology. But it's not the pressure that is teaching the horse. And that's the key to this phrase that you use for this episode, where you release is what you teach. It's not the pressure that's training the horse, it's when you release the pressure, when you take the pressure away, whatever they're doing then, they have been rewarded for. Right. Now, and you couldn't be more correct, Laura. Now, let's look at, because we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of different training techniques here. And, and again, I'm not going to dog one. I'm just going to tell you how it is as far as, quote unquote, natural horsemanship, which you know how I feel about that term. I, I understand what it means. And I understand how people perceive it, but I, sometimes I'm really on the fence about the term, you know, the, using the phrase natural horsemanship. But either way, let's look at the application of pressure versus the release of the pressure and visualize, if you will. I want all the listeners to visualize, if you will, just being that quiet observer watching some horses just graze and eat in a pasture. And it looks like there's absolutely nothing going on. You got four or five horses or more. You may have as many as a hundred or so horses out there just eating. And you think, man, this is so freaking boring. What are they doing? And then suddenly you might see one horse kind of raise its head and start walking over toward where another horse is. The horse that's still eating may do nothing more than just raise its head and look back at the other horse. 
And if one horse wants where the other horse is, one of those two horses will turn on a certain amount of aggression. And that aggression could be as minor as just moving an ear toward that horse and directing it toward that horse. Or it could be sticking their nose out, what we call snaking their neck out. Or they could make a lunge toward that horse as if they're going to threaten to bite it. They could even reach out and bite it. And they could maybe even spin around and kick it. So in other words, all of those things are applying pressure, right? So where the lesson is, is when we watch what's going on there, and then watch what happens when the horse that's applying the pressure gets what it wants. Maybe all it wanted was just to graze where that other horse was grazing. And as soon as it gets it, what does it do? It quits doing all the pressure stuff. It just simply stops. Now, what did the other horse learn from that? Hey, if I just get out of the way, then this other horse stops being aggressive. If I just move, this other horse quits doing it. So the one horse gets what it wanted, and the other horse got what it wanted, which was to be left alone. So one horse wanted that spot. The other horse wanted to be left alone. So what we had to learn there was is that this other horse wasn't aggressive just for aggressive sake. It was seeking out something. It wanted something. So it began to apply pressure, and usually with horses, it's done progressively. If the ear twitch would have done it, then it would have stopped. If that didn't do it, it's going to escalate. And you've heard me refer that before to as squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. Jokingly, I refer that, but either way, we're just escalating what it is that we do. But the very moment the other horse did what the previous horse wanted, it just simply got what it wanted, which was just to be let alone and released from the pressure. So that's the visual. So in other words, that's the applied pressure when we're physically doing something directed at one. So, you know, we, now we've discussed it like in a round pen type situation. We've discussed something out, you know, maybe in the wild. But what does either one of those things have to do with us getting what we want from our horses? And first of all, let's go over those. F- I call them the four magic questions. But let's go over those four questions again really quickly, Laura. And then we'll throw this quote right back at you again. All right. Number one, what do you want? And what I mean by that is, what do you want the horse to do? Number two, is what you want the horse to do fair? And number three, can you communicate what you want in a way that the horse can understand it? Hmm. How do horses understand stuff? Through pressure and release. All right. And then lastly, did the horse do what you wanted? Did he give you what you wanted? And was it perfect or is there a room for improvement? In other words, measure your deal though. So how how did it turn out for you? Now, if we know those four things and we know what we want and we begin to apply or imply pressure on a horse until we begin to get what we want, the very second, and, and here's the thing, we, if we know what we want, we've got to be looking for it. We've got to be expecting it. And if we know what we want and we're going after it and we're looking for it and we're expecting it, we'll start recognizing signs of when it's going to happen. And when that horse gives us a sign, or rather, and that sign could be something very physical, like moving an ear toward me or moving away from me. In other words, whatever it is that I want, when that horse does that, all I've got to do is just take that pressure away. And the question then comes to the horse, like, hey, what was that about? And then suddenly the horse begins to realize, and this is called condition response, but then the horse begins to realize, hey, when I feel this pressure and I do something, and, and the horse may literally go through a bag of tricks until he figures out what it is that you want him to do, but once he does that one thing that you wanted and you take that pressure away, now suddenly the horse experienced a little bit of success. And Hey, when I did whatever that guy wanted me to do, he took that pressure off. And then you repeat it. And hopefully you repeat it in such a way the horse can understand it again. And hopefully it's recognizable 
to the point it becomes almost like an unwritten language. So now there's some communication going on. You repeat it. The horse gives you another good response, hopefully the same as what he did before or close to it, and you take that pressure away. Now through the process of elimination, the horse begins to start figuring out a little bit of communication going back and forth between the two of you. But either way, where you release the pressure is what you're going to teach. Now, here's the biggest obstacle I run across all the time, Laura, is that people will do something. Let's say they're going to swing a lead rope at their horse. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it is. They're going to apply some sort of pressure, and the horse does something, and then they realize, well, that's not really what I wanted. But inadvertently, the horse person took the pressure away. Now, we've got to be really, really careful because if you take the pressure away when you didn't get the answer that you wanted, all the horse knows is that, hey, whenever I screwed up, this guy took the pressure away. Before you know it, the horse gets really good at screwing up. You see, so we got to be really careful and very deliberate in what we're doing. And I'll give you an example of, of how it just happened just recently. We had a guest come down, spent some time with us here at the ranch, and he was wanting to learn a little bit more about groundwork. And I was showing some of the things I'd shown you in the past about, you know, holding your ground, stay still, give the horse an opportunity to go a particular direction and swing your lead rope uh, in such a way that the horse can move away from that pressure. Well, as he's swinging his lead rope, he got his lead rope all tangled up and the horse just stood there like a bump on a log. Well, when he got his lead rope hung up, the horse is still standing there like a bump on a log. So the next time when he kind of got his, un- his lead rope untangled and began to do the same thing again, the horse was more resistant to move. And then he looked at me like, well, why isn't the horse moving? I said, because by getting your rope tangled up, you kind of told him that really all you were doing was just swinging your lead rope. It meant nothing to him. You see, in other words, his intention was to get the horse to move, but because the horse didn't move the first time when he got his rope tangled up, there was no action. There was no positive behavior. So as a result, the horse didn't think that the lead rope swinging meant anything. It was just another thing for the horse to ignore. Well, and and I mean, that really illustrates the point that the where you release is what you teach is true, both good and bad. If you release at the wrong time, you have taught them to do something you didn't really want them to do. Absolutely. And that's that's how they interpret it. Exactly. It doesn't matter what we're thinking. Well, that's not what I wanted. The horse doesn't know that. All they know is the pressure went away. Exactly. The only language you have with your horse at this point in time is pressure and release. So the only way the horse can be rewarded with the correct answer is when we take the pressure off. In other words, they get that release from the pressure. I like to simplify it like this. Let's say I'm I'm trying to get you to get to the answer. If I start applying pressure, in other words, I'm asking you a question or giving you something like one plus, and then hopefully you say one, and the minute you do, I reward you because one plus one is two. And how do I reward you? I just quit asking you the questions. You see, so we have to realize that we we have to be able to break it down for the horse and do things in such systematic steps that when the horse gets the correct answer, and there's only one correct answer, right? But we have to know what the answer is. Because if I'm okay with you telling me, if I tell you, hey, hey, or if I ask you, hey, Laura, what's one plus one? And you tell me three, and I go, yeah. (laughs) And then a little while later, I say, hey, Laura, what's one plus one? Well, I don't know, two. Yeah. Well, now you don't know whether the answer is two or three, which is it, right? So I have to know the answer before I ask the question. Then I have to ask the question in such a way that the horse gets the correct answer. I don't care if he answers, if he guesses three, that's not the correct answer. So I keep asking, I keep applying the pressure. And then eventually the horse will figure out that the only way I'm going to quit asking this darn question 
is for him to give me the answer to one plus one is two. And when that happens, I simply say yes by releasing the pressure. So we have to be very careful about that timing. And that was the second part of that we mentioned. Is that one thing, the either application or the implication of the pressure, and then the timing of the release of that pressure. Because if our timing is incorrect, the horse is going to answer the wrong thing. And after a while, we don't want a horse that's just always guessing, but never getting any confidence in his answer. And the only way he's going to be able to get confidence in his answer is that if we are very specific about the answer that he gives us. So, and, and very patient to wait for the right answer. I'm thinking as you were talking about all of this, is that this really brings in things that you've talked about on previous episodes, even not, just a couple weeks ago, where you talked about he who waits the longest is the teacher and, and just the need for patience and to be willing to commit to, if you're going to ask for something, be willing to wait until the horse gives you the right answer. If you're in the process of teaching, you want to teach the right thing. And so you've got to be patient enough and not just give up and release the pressure because you got tired. Right. And, you know, and, and he who waits so long as is the trainer. And there's another part of that. We also said kind of another quote that everything comes to he who waits so long as he yeah. who waits works like heck while he waits. Well, we also have to understand too, what are our limitations? For example, I remember the day when you were riding scooter and I'm trying to get you to kick him up to go to the next gear and you ran out of gas before he got there. You were kicking, but your kicking were, you weren't kicking the horse. You were just flailing your legs. So, <laughs> so as a result, you, you wore out, a, you ran out of gas before you got the response that you wanted. So that's why I tell everybody, really think about that squeeze, bump, kick and kill because you cannot afford for you to run out of gas before you get the answer that you want. Because you then see. you teach the horse, I can outweigh her. Exactly. I can outweigh you. And then before you know it, now who's the leader? Yeah. You see, the horse becomes the leader in that case. Or you might just be desensitizing the horse. Yeah. You might just be sacking it out, which yeah. is a lot of oh, times what we do. She just sits up there and flails. I don't have to do yeah, anything. Exactly. Uh, she's, she just trying, she's just trying to get me used to all that flailing she's going to do when she has a panic attack or something. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Me? Uh, a panic attack on a horse? <laughs> but but you, you've got the nail right on the head. That's really why I love these quotes is because there are so many applications to these things. And at the same time, they all tie back into each other always. I I mean, you know, it's very difficult for me sometimes just to isolate one quote and speak of it because before you know it, another one's going to creep in there because, ah, oh, that's what you meant when you were talking about this. And, oh, that's what you meant when you were talking about this. And it's really like we're just putting things together. And that's what horsemanship is all about is learning a whole bunch of really cool stuff and then learning to put it all together and find the application of those things. And then as we do, suddenly all these mysterious questions start coming up with really cool answers. But isn't that a cool quote, though, that where you release is what you teach? It's by far one of my favorite ones. And, and I'm going to have to go back to Idaho one of these days, and I'm going to have to try to find out who that guy was. I love giving credit where credit's due. And it's it's been probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 years now. But it's really been one of those quotes that's really helped me on my journey of horsemanship. It's really helped me become not just a better horseman, but it's also really helped me become a much better teacher, helping people understand the idea of pressure release, condition response type horse training. Now, one, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I don't want to sound like I'm dogging any other training styles, but 
A lot of folks will oftentimes look for alternative ways of training horses, one of which is through treats. Okay, The horse does something positive, and we're going to give it a treat. In the horse world, that's got several different names. I don't want to go into any of them because there's a couple of those names that are copyrighted, and I don't want to sound like I'm dogging anybody's particular style or choice of training. But let me tell you why, in my little bitty humble opinion, why I don't think that treat-oriented training works for horses and why it works really good for predators. For example, if you watch the animals being trained at SeaWorld, almost every one of the animals, whether it's a bird, whether it's a a dolphin, whether it's a whale, whether it's a penguin, every one of those are predators. Every single one of those animals are predators. Every single one of those are feast or famine feeders, which means they're going to eat until they can't eat anymore because they don't know when their next meal's coming. Mm. What are horses? Horses are grazers. Horses are grazers in the sense that they've got this great big body with a little bitty fuel tank, which means that they have to eat constantly because their metabolism is so fast that they have to eat constantly. In the wild, when left alone, horses may eat may. It just depends on their environment. But they may have to eat up to 22 to 23 hours a day just to keep the nutrition up so that they can survive. The other reason they do that is, and the reason they got that very fast metabolism is because a horse in the real world never knows when he may have to dig deep into that fuel tank and accelerate really hard and fast up to an eighth of a mile or longer to get away from whatever it is that's chasing him. Now, what all does that have to do with training a horse? Is it what made that horse run away in the first place to try to protect himself? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a predator, maybe another horse, maybe pressure. There you go. And the horse wanted to get away from that pressure until the coast was clear. Now, so why doesn't the treat thing work with horses. And I'm not telling people don't, if you, if it makes you feel good to give your horse a treat, by all means do it. Just be ready for the repercussions. And believe me, there, there are going to be some if it's, if there's not some rules of, that go along with that. But the reason that it doesn't work for training is that it'll come a time to where the horse begins to evaluate, you know what, what you want me to do is not worth that little cookie you want, want to give me. Hmm. Because if we're feeding a domestic horse, we're already taking care of their nutritional needs. Yeah. And because they're not feast or famine feeders, there's not something on in their brain that's going to click on and go, you know what? You better get that cookie now because there may not ever be another cookie. I got to get that cookie because I never know when I'm going to get my next cookie. You see, so there, that little thing doesn't trigger in the horse. What triggers in the horse is, is that, hey, that's a cool little gesture, but you know what? I don't need it. So heck with you. I'm not going to do the task. Yeah. They're but not what they, motivated that way. They're right. motivated by that self-preservation instinct that really views pressure as a threat. Right. Now, in another realistic deal is the reason that pressure and release works. In other words, again, where you release is what you teach. Imagine, if you will, that first scenario I told you that you're looking out there in the pasture and there's all these horses out there and, you know, it could be four, it could be 40. I don't know, but there's all these horses and you're just quietly observing and watching those horses, very objectively observing. And one of the little baby colts, for example, is out there doing something. He does something really, really cool. Does the mom reach down there and grab a grass cookie and go hand it to the colt? Say, hey, little Johnny, that was really good, little Flicka. Good for you. You did such a good job being a colt today. No, they don't do that. But you let that little Johnny colt do something wrong, and what does the mare do? She goes and applies pressure to him. The minute the colt does the right thing, she takes it off and goes right back to eating her grass again. So you tell me what language really works best for horses if you're going to put natural horsemanship into it. You see what I mean? And I don't want to sound like I'm dogging one area or the other. It's just that there's one that makes a lot more sense from a horse's perspective 
than does what makes us feel good, like giving a horse a cookie, you see. So we really have to take that in consideration whenever we're working with our horses. Very important reminder, and I I think there's a lot of confusion about that among certainly amateur horsemen and horsewomen. So I think it's an important message to get out there. The whole concept of where you release is what you teach is so important, I know, to the way you work with horses and the way you teach other people to work with horses. I know we're going to be touching on this again in future episodes. It's going to, as you said, all of these things kind of become the puzzle pieces that you put together and the tools that you use to work with horses and to to train them and to become a better horse person yourself. So I have no doubt that folks are going to have questions. I know that you'll be answering some of them in future episodes as as I've seen the, the list of topics that you want to talk about in the future. But for those listeners who have questions about this particular topic, comments about it, stories to share, suggestions about how we can make the podcast better in the future. I know, Van, you love to hear from them. You want to hear that feedback. And there are various ways they can do that. They can comment on this episode in the show notes under the podcast category on your website at vanhargis.com. You can visit the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post your comments or questions there. Van looks for those gets alerted when you do and is always pretty quick unless he's in, well, even sometimes when you are on the back of a horse, (laughs) if you've got signals, sometimes you'll see those, but I know you respond to those. If you'd like to share your thoughts privately with Van, you can reach out to him via email at info at vanhargis.com and share your questions or comments there and he will respond. If you uh, enjoyed this episode or you're liking the podcast in general, We would really love it if you would help spread the word about Ride Every Stride. First of all, tell your friends. If you've got uh, most of us who like horses have friends who like horses, and if they haven't heard of Van or of Ride Every Stride, please tell them about the podcast. Point them to his website at vanhargis.com and encourage them to check out the conversation here. And if you have time, if you could, consider leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes. Search for Ride Every Stride or Van Hargis, for that matter, on on iTunes and click the tab there to leave a review and share a few thoughts about what you think of the podcast. I don't want us to end the show without sharing. We, We talked a little bit on the last episode, but it's big news in the world of Van Hargis horsemanship. The launch after many years of preparation of the Top Hand Club. Man, you want to talk about that a little bit about what you're offering listeners in the terms of a new membership site? You bet, Laura. As you know, it's it's been something that we've been working on for a very long time. Uh, it's it's called the Van Hargis Top Hand Club, and um, and and Laura, honestly, couldn't have done it without you, right? I mean, you gave me some really good ideas in the very beginning. You helped me get this thing going. And what the Top Hand Club is, it is access, if you will, to a lot of DVDs, pieces of DVDs, and little video clips that we've put together for our viewers that get an opportunity to go to, our, go to the Top Hand Club section of our website. They click on those little darn things, and these little video clips are anything from two minute to and some are a little bit longer, but they're very short video clips that are addressing very specific topics. And the thing with me, I mean, and I grew up in an incredibly humble environment. I mean, we were very poor growing up. So to me, everything has to have great value. And I really wanted to work hard to put this thing together to give people the greatest value that we could. And as a result of that, Laura, we're 
to kind of show people appreciation for, for jumping on board with us. We want to give them the value of becoming a Top Pan member. They join $4.95 a month. As soon as they join, they'll get access to a video that we shot several years ago, and it's called Bit by Bit. And what that Bit by Bit uh, DVD does is it goes over everything from snaffle bits to a full bridle, what they are, what they mean, how to use them, what the implications are of the bits. I mean, it's really, really cool video. We didn't release it for some for various reasons. If you join and you get that video and you can tell me what's wrong with it, and there's two very distinct things that's wrong with that video. If you can get that DVD and tell me what's wrong with it, then that gives you an opportunity to buy my Ranch Horse Versatility DVD series at half price. So for $4.95, you're getting probably a year's worth of value just in those two DVDs alone. Another thing is we'll have an ongoing uh, newsletter. The first newsletter, we, we've kind of put a couple out there before. It's just kind of teasers and ticklers. Uh, but now we'll start releasing that thing every month as well. And that's going to be a newsletter that's full of information, some more of the little small video clips and things like that as well. So again, the Van Hargis Top Pan Club has been a, a thing, been a long time coming. We're just incredibly grateful to get it out there. And uh, we, we look forward to people jumping on board. Laura, that $4.95 a month is going to be available only to what we call our charter members. So $4.95 a month for the first thousand members. After that, the price is going to go up substantially. So can't wait for everybody to jump on board and help us make this thing a big success for all the members. Yes. Yeah, so this is, for those of you listening who are intrigued by this, I encourage you to go to the website at vanhargis.com and click on the Top Hand Club button there to get more information. I've known the sorts of things that Van has in mind for this club, and there's going to be great value not just in the video library, which is going to be a great resource for you as a horseman or horsewoman to to be able to find these little short video tutorials that address very specific questions that you have. I mean, the podcast is great, but a video in a video van can demonstrate the things that he's talking about. And this video library, he has huge things in mind for that. It will continue to grow. In addition, members of the Top Hand Club get discounts on Van Hargis Horsemanship Clinics, on products that are sold on the website, and you should be certainly checking that out if you're in the market for a bit or various other horsemanship-related products. But members get exclusive access to the video library, get these discounts on the various products, and then the, the kind of Bonus thing for the members that come in at the beginning are this DVD and the potential, if you can scope out what the problem is with the bidding DVD, the ability to to buy his Ranch Horse Versatility series at a 50% discount. So there's a, a whole lot there and many more things he has in mind that will be added and if you join at the $4.95 a month level that's only available to the charter members, your price will never go up as long as you stay a member. Is that correct, Van? That is correct. You betcha. So, so that people that come in later are going to be paying substantially more than that. But this is right. your chance to get it at the very beginning at a, a real value. So sign up today. 
then go tell your friends about it to make sure you're one of the charter members. Get them involved if you like them, or if you maybe if you don't like them as well, you can tell the other people in your barn after the charter membership is full. <laughs> they can they can pay more for it. Right, and then you can brag about getting it cheaper and let the other guys. Yeah, you should have jumped on the first thousand. So yeah, what good job. So anyway, great opportunity there to continue to learn from Van and uh, check it out at the website at vanhargis.com. Anything else, yeah. Van? Laura, you know, I can't begin to tell people how grateful I am to be able to do what I do. And it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it wasn't for our listeners. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it wasn't for you. And I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it wasn't for John. I always want everybody to know how grateful I am to be able to get to do what I do for a living, which is to work with horses and to work with people with their horses or through their horses. The horse has been a great platform for me to visit with people and meet some absolutely wonderful people. So um, I want everybody to know how deeply grateful I am for all of you guys out there listening and help us continue to bring you a better podcast each and every week by giving us the information that you would like us to discuss and uh, letting us know what we can do to, to bring a better podcast to you. We sure appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and in closing, Laura, I just want to tell everybody again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, remember, it's your life, your ride, your journey. So ride every stride. <music>